Hello, hello, and welcome or welcome back to the Live Label Free podcast. Today, I am speaking with Gemma Richards, the creator and host of the Love This Food Thing podcast. Her podcast pivots on the premise, is food friend or foe, and delves into how this relationship affects people's behavior. Gemma believes that eating disorder behaviors are physical symptoms of internal distress, or in other words, symptomatic of an imbalanced relationship with the self, but when properly understood and recovered from, they can be powerful healing tools. Gemma and I dive deep into this idea of ED behaviors being manifestations of something deeper, as I've often mentioned that my own eating disorder was simply a manifestation of undiagnosed autism. We also touch on existentialism, which, if you follow me on Instagram at LiveLabelFree, you know I'm a huge proponent of. In fact, everything we talk about today is exciting and insightful, so I'm going to stop trying to summarize it and let you listen to my conversation with the wonderful Gemma Richards in just a moment. But before we dive in, I want to remind you that my memoir, Rainbow Girl, is officially available in all formats ebook, paperback, and now finally the audiobook is live. If you haven't yet read Rainbow Girl in your preferred format, be sure to grab your copy at livelabelfree.com forward slash Rainbow Girl. Rainbow Girl is all about my life growing up undiagnosed autistic, how this led to the development of an eating disorder, and all the steps I took to fully recover and become label free. Whether you've already read the hard copy of Rainbow Girl or haven't even heard of the book, you can now immerse yourself in my story in a whole new way. Don't get me wrong, I love physical books and will forever be a reader of physical books, but let's be honest, life is busy and when you're neurodivergent like me, sitting down to read can feel like a monumental task. Enter the wonderful audiobook world, which allows you to listen to my books so you can make those mundane tasks a little more enjoyable. Whether you're folding laundry, walking the dog, or relaxing with your favorite drink, listen to the Rainbow Girl audiobook today by heading over to livelabelfree.com forward slash Rainbow Girl. Oh yeah, and also, if you enjoy Rainbow Girl, it would mean so much to me if you could leave a rating and review on Amazon or Goodreads or both if you're so inclined. Not only do reviews show you support, but they help other people to find Rainbow Girl so we can shed light on autism and eating disorder stories of lived experience together. Thank you in advance for taking the time to show you love, and now let's get into today's episode. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, Fear is a heavy load to carry. Which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders, giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting one foot front of the other welcome Gemma to the live label free podcast how are you feeling today I'm terrific today it's lovely to be here Liv it's stormy because I'm living on the beach at the moment not actually on the beach because I'm being frozen but I'm yeah. living by the sea and it's stormy out there. It's been raining all day. I saw a dead baby shark on the beach this morning. A I dead know. baby shark? Do you have sharks yeah. there? Cause well, we're, I'm, we're... Not, I'm not sure. what. It, I, I think it was maybe, you, you might know because you know everything, but it had a long, <laughs> it had a long thin snout. It must have been the size of a Labrador, a big Labrador. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and it was really sad because it was the tide had gone out and it was just lying there on the shingle. And I think someone had thrown a ball towards it to see if it was moving because there was a little red ball by, by its side. Oh. And I walked along and I thought, oh, I should go back. I was with the dog. And I went back and we checked it, but there was, there was no movement. So it might have been a basking shark. I don't think it was, it was a baby dolphin. No, it definitely wasn't a baby dolphin because I've swum with dolphins. It's nothing like a dolphin. But it was a little moment and it was stormy and the waves were rolling in and it's like this grey, sleety sky. And yeah, it was, I have, was there with nature. So that's my, my day's been great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, like yeah. as we started talking, I literally yeah. hear rain pattering outside the window. Ah, um, there you go. Welcome. Welcome to, you know, UK and the Netherlands. Because <laughs> <laughs> I live right by the beach, too. Um, And it, it can get so windy here, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah, before we started recording, I was just telling Gemma how I get so affected by the weather and I just get so like. No, I don't, I don't even want to say depressed, but just like down in the winter. Like I just, I have less energy, less motivation. Like usually I'm like writing my books and just mm -hmm. getting up early and being like, yay, we're going to have another day. But like yesterday from like literally four to like 8 PM, I was literally just like sat on my bed and like read <laughs> and just watched Netflix. Cause like I, I could not be bothered. Yeah. But I think that's all, that's about change, the change of seasons. And as we transition into winter, we start to hibernate. And I think I yeah. try and I normally get up at maybe quarter past five, half five in the morning and write. That is really challenging at the moment because it's yeah. dark. I'm warm and cozy. Yeah. And I think it's very important to nestle in and sit on your bed for four hours and watch Netflix. What did you watch? Um, I'm watching a German series. It's called uh, Liebeskind, which means okay. like, well, in English, it's Dear Child. Um, and I watch it with subtitles. Um. I can kind of understand German because it Dutch is a Germanic language, but okay. I need the English subtitles. But it is honestly one of the best shows I have ever watched. It is so suspenseful. It's about have you ever heard of read the book Room or watched the movie Room? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's I have. really I, I didn't watch the movie because I get scared very easily, but I have read the book. Okay, well, it's really similar to Room. It's about a woman who is abducted and has two kids and is basically living in this like isolative fake home and okay. there's this guy named papa who basically oh. just is watching them all the time and it's oh, just God. you oh, have God. to follow the rules and just oh, terrifying this woman um I can't watch and then this. all the, and then the series starts off with the woman escaping but this papa is still like on the loose and yeah it's it's really suspenseful and usually it like takes a lot for me to like actually sit and do something that's like not work that's like not actually engaging my functioning but like yeah. this series i'm like i am totally pulled into it um <laughs> so anyone uh dear child leave us kind yes. if if you want a subs suspenseful crime um definitely go for it <laughs> okay i'm not gonna watch that because i'd be terrified but i did watch i watched the second series of the sinner which also i find really scary. i love the sinner yeah, i love the sinner i had to have my husband next to me and i said listen we're gonna watch this we'd had a late night and we drove back from somewhere and we did lots of things yesterday and i said five o'clock we're sitting down you're gonna watch the sinner with me we did yeah. four episodes it was fantastic Four episode, yeah. I mean, no, Sinner is definitely one of my favorites too. Um, anyways, anyway, I hope, what are we gonna talk about? Yeah, I hope everyone listening, you guys are enjoying this. Um, and and I definitely am because I I feel like I told you this before too, but I've well, we'll get into this, but sometimes mm. you know, I I'm really pretty fucking done with talking about eating disorders all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, because you know, it's such a part of my past and it's a part of your past that mm. you know although i mean it's really important to me that i of course educate on autism and eating disorders because i feel like that is a part of my life's purpose that is making a difference in other people's lives there are also times you know when i am doing the podcast or i'm engaging with people that i want to talk about you know life like what's life after an eating disorder yeah. um being able to you know watch netflix and actually be absorbed in because you're not thinking about food at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, that is huge. Hmm. I think I was thinking about this today. I think that well, we have talked about this because you came on the podcast the other day that eating disorders really don't have anything to do with food. We mm -hmm. demonize food. 
we trash our relationship with food in order to work out our, let's say, internal distress. And we do the same thing with our body. And bear with me here, I kind of find the, the thread. But and we, I think we also touched on this, it makes complete sense to use your relationship with food and to use your relationship with your body as a way of finding out about yourself. Yeah. And it's a way in, albeit um, destructive. I think it's actually quite well-intentioned because you're trying to manifest your, your distress out there rather than having it in here because in here is just too unbearable. It's too painful. Whatever the feeling is, and let's, let's go for like three big hitters. So let's go for shame, rage, and sadness, fear, four. It's fear, yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're putting your behaviors out there. So yes, of course it's to do with food to get back to your point. And of course there is a stage in my experience and clearly your experience where all you think about is food, is your body, your internal dialogue is, revolves around that. But there is a also, and then when you start to mm, bring yourself into balance, you start to readdress your behaviors, maybe you get yourself into a more even keel and become more stable, these behaviors then fall away, right? Yeah. But then you're still left with the, the drivers and, and what was in the engine room in the first place. Yes. And you, my experience was that I needed to be incrementally robust to handle my internal world. And when you say incrementally robust, what, what yeah. do you mean by that? Well, it was, it was in layers. So something small that I would be stressing about, let's take, what can I take? What can I take? Okay. Just the need to be thin, wanting to be thin, mm -hmm. which was about wanting to be more attractive, which was about fitting in, which was about being more glamorous, having a, um, I wanted to be an actress and I acted for a little while. I was very aware. I stopped acting because of this, that I didn't fit into that kind of tall, leggy actress stereotype. Yeah. And that was seriously, <laughs> that just like tore me in two. But it actually wasn't about that, was it? It wasn't, of course, it, so it's about the, the being thin and then it's about being, wanting to be the actress and then not feeling that you fit into that. And then you get to not feeling good enough. And then you think, well, what don't I feel good enough about? And then you get to feeling not good enough, probably in other areas of your life. And then you kind of peel the layers away until you get to the point where you go, okay, I'm not good enough. And I think that's a fundamental belief for all of us and also not being lovable. But you're just like, I can't bear myself. Right. Why should I fit yeah. in and have long, skinny legs? Oh, next lifetime I will. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, why is that such a big thing? And my, so what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that you have to work backwards. And when you actually sit with yourself and go, I don't like myself, or I can't bear myself, or I cannot bear how I feel in my body or existing in my body, then, they, then you're at it. Yeah. But to fit yeah. with that, you need to have some kind of... Um, alternative dialogue that can also go on or some experience where you have felt good enough where you have felt up to the job yeah I don't think yeah. you can deep dive into it immediately I think well, it takes I think I think everything you're saying is in and of itself a deep dive almost into human existence because yeah, what yeah. keeps coming up is this almost not being able to bail yourself not being able to basically want to feel what it feels like to basically just exist i think that is at the core of it um and i recently did a post on instagram on existentialism and mm. eating disorders and mm. i think and i've like never seen eating disorders looked at from that angle before but it's exactly what you're saying i think because we you know, don't know what we're doing here, what our purpose is, like, what are we, what is life supposed to even mean? And, and also the idea that we basically are the creators of our own future, like, and our choices basically decide what's going to happen. That can feel absolutely paralyzing because it's like, what if I make the wrong choice? Well, what is the right choice? And then because, of course, none of those questions have answers, we turn to something tangible. We turn to something that basically takes away that choice freedom from us and decides, oh, well, if you do everything this way, 
then you know you're doing things right. And I think that's exactly what the eating disorder gives you. It makes your world so small that you're no longer paralyzed by by choices because the eating disorder chooses for you. Um, so in that sense, I feel like it's an almost an, an adaptation to escape that existentialist angst that every single human feels when we are forced to sit with ourselves and our thoughts without distraction. A hundred percent. And I write about that as well. I think it's also a privilege and a luxury of the Western world where most of us have enough. Most of us, of course, not all of us. And you're right. In eat, and I, I'm going to talk about eating disorder behaviors rather than eating disorders. But, yes. so, but I might say yeah, eating I'd love disorders. to get into that in my, a bit too. Yeah. yeah. But of course, it's an, it's an existential crisis. It's, it's who, who am I? What on earth am I doing here? What is my function? And you know that Socrates quote, like a life unexamined is a life unlived. And mm -hmm. if your life is about, and also it's about our economy and our social class, because if you have a life where you are just many years ago, just working to put food on the table and bring your kids up and stay, and then further back, just stay alive, then probably these issues weren't coming up. So my point is, is it's a luxury to be able to sit and in kind of common parlance, like look at your navel, you know, that's yeah. always like a kind of criticism, isn't it? And yeah. yes, of course, it's, it's a crisis of existence because if you are employing anorexic behavior, and I know this also isn't the parlance that's used, but you're starving yourself, you're not eating, which is a violent act, a self-destructive act yeah. upon the self. If you are employing bulimic behaviors, you are saying, I don't need anything, I don't need anything. That's very much the anorexic mindset. I don't need anything. I have no needs. I have no needs. And then the bulimic takes over and goes, whoa, I have got needs and I'm going to consume and hoover up whatever I can, but then I can't digest it and then I can't hold on to it. So then I'm going to get rid of it. And then yeah. you have overeating, protection, protection, filling yourself, filling yourself. I mean, there's so many different versions, but it is all about working out your existence so yeah they are existential crises and they don't get talked about like that and also the economic world that we live in who was it did a fantastic reel was it the spectator that no, wasn't the spectator anyway they made a reel about thin white middle class women running the economy and supporting partly supporting disordered eating yeah because if you have some cash and you're middle class particularly in the uk and you're maybe 20s and 30s, and you're relatively educated, and you've got time on your hands, and you're going to go to the gym, you're going to buy nice clothes, you're going to <laughs> adhere to a stereotype, you're going to eat certain foods, you're going to go, yeah, I have a smoothie for breakfast, and I don't have any carbs, and yada, yada. My green gonna, juice, if that costs yeah. 80 pounds, and come yeah. buy it if you want to be Exactly. <laughs> so this is part of, part of the capitalist machine, right? Because you're yeah. buying a product. Right. And you're yeah. feeling that. So that also doesn't get talked about. And I have another thing. I think for young people today, we are suddenly, maybe we're not here in the UK, but suddenly there is war around. And I yeah. think that there is a very strong analogy between eating disorder behaviors and war. And so why wouldn't we take it in, what we see out there, why wouldn't we take that in, in a funny kind of a way and sort of turn it around and then be at war with ourselves because there's, there's war out there. Yeah. So, yeah. It's actually yeah. that what you're saying about the war and like, I'm going to create it myself. I was actually journaling about that this morning because I'm the kind of person and my mom is exactly the same way. Mm. Um, and she actually had bulimia when she was younger, um, which of oh. course, all of the therapists said, that's where you inherited the genes from. But I'm like, but I never had bulimia. <laughs> Anyways, um, and I diagnosed her with ADHD, right? <laughs> Just like we diagnosed you. <laughs> Um, but anyways, um, we, yeah, I was, I was writing in my journal today and me and her, we have this thing where we always have to be worried about something. We're like addicted to worrying. Um, mm. and we have this joke where she'll get up in the middle of the night cause she has to go pee and she'll not be thinking about anything cause she was sleeping. And then, and then she'll be like, I'm not thinking about anything. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Uh, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? Oh, oh, that's what it is. Okay. Now I have something to worry about. And then she can't sleep. Um, but it's like uh, this sense of almost relief or safety when we can worry about something. And I have the exact same thing. I feel like I'm forgetting something or something's wrong if I don't have something to be actively worrying about. And I was talking to a friend about this the other day and I was saying like, 
my brain just never fucking shuts off. And and he was saying, yeah, like, I'm the same. But then I was, like, explaining to myself, like, the extent to which it is. And he was like, I know why you do that. And I was like, why? Like, tell me why. And he's like, because you're a problem solver. And humans are problem solvers. I mean, us, you and me, especially when we, like, talk about these topics that are taboo and people don't really like to talk about, we are clearly people who want to help other people solve their problems. And he was mm-hmm. saying, because you identify as a problem solver, to almost retain that identity, you're always going to make sure that there's a problem even when there isn't. Because that gives you that identity that you ha- you are a problem solver and that you can solve the problem. And I thought that was super interesting. Uh, yeah. It, it, it is. And I'm thinking about your use of the word identity because we are certainly living in the age where everyone is saying, this is my identity. And I also... I also think it's to do that we are disembodied. Mm-hmm. We are disconnected from nature and therefore we are disconnected from our physical bodies and we are yeah. beings. We are nature. And I think there's this, it's very, it's intoxicating to be in your head all the time and to be thinking and planning and solving and, and all very valid. But lots of people, if you said to them, can you feel your left knee? Mm-hmm. or Can you feel your right toe? Or can you feel your fingertip would probably really struggle. And that's the experience we're having. We're always having a physical experience, but we're very cut off with it. Yeah. So, um, and I want to tell you a little story as well, which is completely yeah. unrelated. I had, this is about war and this is about people's behavior. But I had a, a girl on the podcast I had about two or three seasons ago, Lydia, Lydia Goldman. And she was caught up in the military coup in Myanmar, which Mm -hmm. when was that? I don't know, 21, was it? I can't remember. Anyway, and she had had huge issues with bulimic behavior. Mm -hmm. So she was meant to be going home. I think her friend stayed. The coup happened. She'd been absolutely fine. She'd been having a good time. And as soon as the coup happened and they went into lockdown, she started panicking about food. So I think she went out to buy food. But this is so interesting because there was no food in the shops and I don't think she had much food in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. whatever food she did have she ate it and then she threw it back up mm-hmm. and I, I've always remembered that story it just really touches me and, and whenever I talk about ED behaviors and war I think about that yeah. anyway that was literally, just literally obliquely, ED and war. yeah, yeah. And, and it also just makes me makes me think of this quote by Viktor Frankl who wrote mm-hmm. a man's search for meaning I don't know mm-hmm. if you've read it mm-hmm. um but uh-huh. he said you know when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning they distract themselves with pleasure and that almost this yeah absolutely wondering like how the heck does this apply to like eating disorders but I feel like I don't I was talking to a mom that I work with a few weeks ago about this about this Mm. sense of I often get asked like do you miss your eating disorder and for many years like the answer was no to that but like sometimes I notice in myself that the we we talked about this last time about that that high that you yeah, get from engaging yeah. with either restricting and that like almost euphoria you get of like everyone's eating all that and I'm eating nothing. I feel so special. Or yeah. like even like with bulimia when you're just like binging and you almost look forward to like buying all this chocolate and cakes and candy and then like the relief <laughs> that you get from like getting rid of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like, Do you, but- all like seeking that pleasure and we do that because we don't know our meaning we don't have meaning and that almost comes back to that existentialist piece of like i don't yes. know why i'm even here so i'm going to distract myself through seeking this euphoria and almost constantly striving for this high are you a parent or a caregiver seeking to better support your autistic loved one struggling with an eating disorder well i have some exciting news for you imagine this a community where you can learn from autistic individuals with lived experience of an eating disorder and connect with other parents in the same boat as you in real time. Something I've learned through working with many parents through one-on-one coaching is that they want guidance from people with lived experience, but they also want a community of other parents that are desperate to support their autistic child through recovery from an eating disorder. So me being the passionate problem solver I am, I figured 
why not bring my own perspective of autistic-friendly eating disorder recovery together with your parental lived experience to create a program that both supports and empowers caregivers to support their autistic loved ones struggling with eating disorders. I'm thinking live group coaching calls with 24-7 access to an autistically ED-free community and tons more research, resources, and guest experts to help you understand how you can best support your autistic child to full recovery from an eating disorder. But here's the deal. I will only launch this program if there's enough genuine interest, meaning your voice matters. That being said, if you are interested in learning more about this program and potentially joining other parents just like you, please sign up for the waitlist at livelabelfree.com forward slash group. So that's livelabelfree.com forward slash group. I cannot wait to embark on this empowering journey with you and other superhero parents out there. And now let's get back to today's episode. When you recover from an eating disorder, I realized that there's nothing quite like that high that I got during my eating disorder in my life currently. Um, and But yet I don't, like I miss the high, but I obviously don't miss the lows either. Like, does that make sense? Like, makes complete, It makes complete sense, but I'm... Like, equilibrium it's not like spiking up and down the whole yeah time. yeah the spiking up and down is is yeah. about drama and jeopardy isn't it and I'm just thinking as I'm listening to you there maybe it's because you haven't had enough distance from it mm-hmm. and just to go back also to what you were saying I really oh man I struggled so much when I stopped acting out in my behaviors and I think that's a big thing that never gets talked about and for yeah. me I often I spent years not eating but I was also very bulimic Mm-hmm. Um, I missed out the behavior bit there. And when I stopped, yeah, when I stopped being sick, I I think I probably had a mini breakdown. And I certainly was very, very depressed for a long time because I had no idea I had no idea how to to function and to um manage the boring bits, right. the crappy bits, the domestic bits, the annoying bits, yeah. and also and I also want to talk about the metaphor of eating disordered behaviors. But for me, so not, not eating made me feel omnipotent and godlike. I yeah. mean, you can't get much better than that. Right. It's like, and I that, always describe yeah. it like euphoria. Almost. Yeah. 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 No, no needs at all. Yeah. And then obviously then I would eat and feel crashingly disappointed and like a failure. So then when, when I did discover what it was to bring my food back up, um, it was like the Holy Grail. It was like, it was redemption. Really, it was like beginning again, new hope, new day, open book, blank page, start again, everything's great, I'm empty again, oh, I'm back to not needing anything, which is a very, as you wisely said earlier, small place to be, but a very safe place to be because if you don't need anything, then you're never going to feel bored or disappointed or let down or rejected or anything like that. So, I think it's about having some distance from your behaviors. And now that I have years of distance, what I do want to share with you and your listeners, because you were saying, we talked at the beginning about what our eating disorder behaviors about food and blah, 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 is that the more you peel the layers away, you more or the more I realized that I was running a bulimic or anorexic metaphor in my life. So that kind of binge purge mentality would come up with my work. I'm self-employed, would come up with my finances. I'd either have tons of money or nothing at all. It would come up in my friendships. It would come up in my intimate relationships. How then I experienced if uh, I fell out with a friend, I'd become very restrictive, withholding. I mean, it's really, this is my point about them being healing tools. It's if you do get better and if you are suffering anyone out there with eating disorder behaviors, you know, put a limit on it and get better because... (laughs) Yeah, seriously, <laughs> just stop. To put a date in the diary and go, I'm going to stop now, and yeah. then do the work because it's illuminating, and and you find out so much about yourself. And then once you find out stuff about yourself, well, then you can help someone else, right. and then you do have a purpose of being here. Yeah, and then you're not caught in an existential angst because you're like, I can be of service. And you don't right. have to rush out and become a psychotherapist. You can just help someone with their bags up the stairs. But you can develop a mentality and an attitude where you are part of 
of a community and a bigger thing, something other than yourself. And I think yes. eating disorders and behaviors diminish your life, as you said, and make you very singular. And we're not just here on our own. We yes. are all part of this soup, this primordial soup, yeah. you know, going, oh, but this is my identity. This is my label. And this is that. And that's all very valid and very helpful at certain times. Yeah. So I think because I'm now 57 and I developed eating disorder behaviors when I was 18, but there would been all sorts of things going on prior to that, food, obsessions, OCD, all that kind of thing. And then I really didn't get myself together until, if I'm honest, I'm going to say early 40s. But then mentally, now in my 50s, this is when I started to really settle and kind of drop down into myself. So yeah, that was a bit of a, a ramble, but um, they're very interesting kind of imprints to have in your in your life and on your psyche. I really like that, you know, you shared about that the anorexic metaphor almost came into your life. Like it was either you had all this money or didn't have any at all, yeah. or you were, had a really great relationship with a friend or you were isolated. I think that's just that black and white mindset or that polarized mindset that we yeah. all fall into. And I mean, many of the listeners of the Live Label Free podcast are autistic or neurodivergent in some okay. sense. And yeah. I think that in and of itself is also just a very neurodivergent mindset to have I mean I always make the joke to myself like with, when I'm with other people it's like I I can never casually do something like I'm either totally invested or I will not be bothered um and I mean my life is I do have to like set almost rewards for myself to do the things that I don't want to do like otherwise I'm literally not able to do them like for example like if I have to vacuum like the only thing that's going to get me to vacuum is if I say like, okay, well, as soon as you vacuumed, you can watch 10 minutes of Netflix. So you can do this. So you can do that. Like, there has to be almost this something at the other end of that. Well, because you've judged the act of vacuuming as worthless Some, and boring. Or yeah, can you I not just, get involved with the vacuuming? Can you not just be present with the vacuuming? That's really hard for me. <laughs> that's like really, really hard for me. And I think that's that I... That's almost why I think we distract ourselves when it comes to that, like, meaning thing. Because even though I do have a meaning and a purpose, it's especially been coming up lately, like, during the winter time when I just don't have motivation and I just feel really burnt out. I, I almost feel like that purpose, like, I'm not able to access it. I'm not able to tap into it. And then I realize I get, I just find it harder to be with myself and to sit with myself. Of course, um, yeah. of course. Yeah, and if, you're, if you've got all that mental activity on, going on, you're driving yourself mad. And, you know, maybe you don't like nap vacuuming and that's all right. I don't. Well, like, then maybe you need to get someone to do it for you. Well, it's... Seriously, this, that's a mindset. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And I actually, it's, it's funny because I, I recently wrote a book about finding your purpose in life. It's like, lit, it's super funny, but it... I use this word contribution in there a ton. And I think that's exactly what you just got at with our purpose in life is to basically help others find their purpose. It's like going beyond ourselves. I think that is that word contribution. That is what life is about. And I think when you do have an eating disorder and that is your small world, like you can't contribute. And it like almost excuses that you from that responsibility, which yes. makes life seemingly easier and then with the vacuuming, I actually do talk in the book about asking for help <laughs> and how, and I say like, <laughs> if you hate cleaning, hire a cleaning lady or a man or a non-binary person or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, right now uh, I'm living really small. So I really, that person would only have to come for five minutes, which defeats the purpose. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, tangent. I think, I think you should just vacuum and enjoy your reward. I'm going to say something quite provocative. I did. I wanted to say another couple of things as well is that, you don't have to come to this planet and have purpose. You can do, it seems, and from many wise people I have met over the years that you can come here and do exactly what you want without judgment. That's our problem because we're judging everything. And we were talking about the vacuuming, talking about the rewards, talking about... Contribution. Contribution. Yeah, we don't have to contribute. There's lots of people who don't contribute. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, and what were we saying before then? contribution vacuuming cleaning uh, oh, like oh, the, the black oh. and white thinking the polarized yes thinking. yes yes yeah. yes yes because the middle bit yeah and i'm being a bit linear okay well let's think of a circle with a, a, a center that's a bit more glamorous the middle bit the boring bit the domestic bit of life 
the drudgery is boring. Yeah. It's boring. Who wants to do it? Right. And I think learning to, and who wants to, who wants to feel like they are boring or disappointing or unoriginal or, or any of those things. And I think that coming to terms with that mm-hmm. is a later stage of, I'm going to use that word in quotation marks, recovery. Mm-hmm. I think before that is what do you do with all those big feelings without acting out and being destructive? What do you do with them? And because we don't have a culture that supports that, you probably have to go and spend some money and find a, a practitioner or an expert or a, I don't know, a tantra teacher or a dance teacher or a, an, an, a, a creative writing retreat or something. Mm-hmm. Because we are so driven by this economic model that we have and our politics, I'm not surprised that we're all in pain and, and falling down because, right. you know, you can't run the capitalist machine if yeah. you're thinking about your psyche. Yeah. It's like you crack on. Yeah. You get there, make it, sell it. You crack on. Yeah. And so I think that we're all a little bit broken because of, because of that. So my point is, yeah. is that with, with easy behaviors, I do think they're very much about um, shame and rage, and again, not of this not feeling good enough. Yeah, how do you then contain your big feelings? How do you not get swept away by them? That's a biggie. That's a real biggie because, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because sometimes it's just too much for people. Well, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> All the time, I think. Um, but you said something that I really wanted to, you said two things actually that I really want to dive into because mm. you were one of the very few people that I've heard talk about it in this way and I'm like yes this is it um so first of all you said you I used the word recovery in quotation marks can you elaborate <laughs> on that and because seriously this is something that I've talked about a few times before and I get so much backlash on on online because I think it does attack that sense of identity in people um so can you explain what you mean when you use recovery in quotations I've been writing about it today because I'm writing a I'm writing a TEDx talk. You are? Yeah, I haven't been. I haven't submitted. It's not finished, but that's my aim. But so do you already year. have like contact with people? Who no, are- not yet. No, okay. I'm right at the beginning. I'm right at the beginning. Because I'm gonna. I want to give a TEDx talk too, and I don't know if I told you, but I'm moving back to the states next year. Okay. Um, and I actually, we have a friend in Boston. Yeah. works for TEDx. Oh my god. Um, so I'm gonna see if I can do a TEDx <laughs> on audition. <laughs> you would be yeah. terrific. Thank terrific. <laughs> okay, I can't wait for that. Why yeah, so let me also just tell you that it's only recently, I think we touched on this in mm, when you came on Love This Food mm-hmm. Thing, but it's only recently, relatively recently, that I've known what I want to say about eating disorders because I had no desire to talk about them. I just yeah. wanted to get on with my life. And eating disordered behaviors. And yeah, I want to talk about that too. Yeah. And I was, I was really done. So the podcast happened by default a couple of years ago and has grown organically and I'm, I'm going with it. Mm -hmm. And I, language is very oppressive. Yeah. And mental health parlance is ever changing, it seems, and can be as oppressive and tyrannical as the disorder or syndrome or diagnosis that you Mm -hmm. are struggling with yeah and I'm not sure that and I'm not it's not that the, the, the it's not that you have the labels or the diagnoses it's that they don't get discussed yeah and what doesn't happen is you don't have the discussion about the intention of them mm-hmm. and I have met quite a few people who say to me and I said it I said it years and years ago because it was part of my new identity. It was like wearing a, an unseen badge or getting a new yeah. coat and going, oh, I've got a new jacket. I wonder if anyone's going to notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of I'm in recovery. Right. And it was exactly. vital. It was vital, actually, for me at that time. I remember a friend of mine was having a nervous breakdown because he had terrible OCD. And I was like, look, my pain's much worse than yours. My recovery. I want to talk about my recovery because I couldn't speak about anything. People didn't really know. So... It was also limiting because I would never say to you now, oh, I'm in recovery from bulimia and anorexia and this, that and the rest of it. I wouldn't even mention it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and this is not to diss anybody, because if it works for you and you're loving your life, then fantastic. Mm -hmm. Own and do whatever you want to do. But if you're always in recovery, are you not going to be recovered? 
And then once you're recovered, are you not going to move that state? Are you not going to move on? Because you're recovered and it's now linear again, but it's now behind you. Right. And so now it's part of you. And now you're something else, but you're not constantly in recovery. Yes. So, yeah. But mm, so that's, that's, yeah, that's not to be unsupportive. I'm just looking at the way that we use this language. And for some people, that's very, very important. The same way as if you go to AA or NA or mm-hmm. any of those 12 step programs, maybe you need to go to a meeting every day of your life. Fantastic. Yeah. That's not what I'm criticizing. Right, right. Yeah. No, I think it's it's this identity transfer that really, that's what it's about. And it almost comes back to that existentialism again, and hmm. almost looking to external labels and external circumstances so that we don't have to do the introspective work and ask who are we? What do we want? Why yeah. are we here? What do yeah. we want to contribute? Why um, do I hate myself so much? <laughs> right. And I think, you know, when you have an eating disorder, that is your, um, that's your identity. I am mm. a disordered eating eater. I do this. I follow these behaviors. Um, I don't have to deal with anything else kind of thing. But then it's like, okay, well, I know that I hate this and I want to let go of the eating disorder. Yeah. It's like, well, then what do I replace it with? Right. That's the big question that I, get asked all the time is well I can't I can't let go of my eating disorder because I have nothing to replace it with that's like I hear that so much of the time Mm. and and then I think the um convenient thing is I'm going to replace it with being in recovery because that way you know I can almost still use the eating disorder as an excuse because then when I'm struggling I can just grab an eating disorder behavior because I'm in recovery so I I can like I can do that um Mm. and at the same time it's it's deluding you into believing you're free from the eating disorder because you're in recovery. Like it, it's like almost goes two ways. And I think this identity of being in recovery is almost a way for us to attempt to have the best of both worlds, to have the eating disorder, like and almost have it be there if we want it, and at the same time elude like live in this illusion of we're actually living our life. Um the thing is that this I do believe is is not I don't want to say black and white, but there's no such thing as as having the best of both worlds when it comes to an eating disorder. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where this identity transference of I'm a disordered eater to I'm in recovery is so dangerous because it's like okay you're in recovery, but when are you gonna be living your life? When are you gonna be yourself? When are you gonna be free? Like yeah, there's like this shift that has to happen to to go there. And I think as long as we identify with this being in recovery, we are preventing ourselves from allowing that shift into life to happen. Yes, 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 yes. I went off at the end thinking how very eloquent you are, such a young person. Um, The problem is that the longer you employ an eating disorder behavior, the the more your body suffers and the more your mind suffers and your heart and eating disorder behaviors do break the spirit. Mm-hmm. And the more it continues, the worse it gets. And so being diagnosed is like a safety net and it feels like a safe place. And then yeah. being in recovery again is a safe place. So I'm just thinking, and as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, it's just kind of basic image, but just stones across a river. Mm-hmm. And actually we have something on the, we have something called the, what's it called? The recovery wheel. It was like a sort of recovery bundle that we sell on, on um, okay. this food thing. And, um, there's eight positions on the recovery wheel and it goes from not started to full steam ahead. And it talks, it talks about that a, a uh-huh. little bit. Um, yeah, but, and here's, here's the thing, right? Cause we're being quite, not blase, but we're being quite um, provocative and almost a bit hard about all this stuff. It's yeah. the, the psyche when you've damaged yourself so much mm-hmm. and when you've trashed yourself and exhausted your adrenal glands and your yeah. vital energy it, you're so fragile it's so tender you feel yeah. so raw as you know when you then let go of the behaviors and you're left with 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 yourself and yeah. so something I always say as well and I'm going to talk about eating disorder behaviors because I know you want me to talk about that yeah. is that eating disorder behaviors I talk about them instead of eating disorders because right. eating disorders are, it can be similarly restrictive mm-hmm. at times just the words, and we're not just an eating disorder. And if you're solely identifying with your own eating disorder, then you are really missing the point right. of, of, of you. And actually the eating disorder behaviors aren't behaviors, they're defenses. They're defending yes. you against your pain. So they're well-intentioned. So adaptations. 
Yes, they're adaptations, yeah. if you like. Yes, exactly. To We've feel got, safe. To feel yeah. safe. Yeah. Yeah. So then when you start to disarm your defenses, your adaptations, it's the first time we've had a different word um, dispute. That's good. Um, you have to go very, very gently and very kindly because it, I always say you wouldn't rip a plaster off an open wound. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pain there, a lot of sadness. And yeah, yeah. so it's, it's a very, it's a delicate flower, Liv, an eating disorder behavior. It is. Yeah. It is. yeah. Does that answer your question about the behaviors? Yeah, yeah. My thing was was more about why do you like to say um, ED behaviors instead of um, eating disorder per se? Because I yeah. think because I think that we have leverage and control over our behavior, right. and I think yeah. it's a vital un- moment of understanding in quote recovery that you are not identified by a syndrome or a disorder, yes. and that if you have a behavior, you therefore have some choice and some leverage and some freedom. Yes. Do I choose to do this? Do I choose not to? It might feel like an impossible choice, as in, do I cross and back to the river? Do I cross a river of snakes or a river of rats? I mean, that's just my nightmare. And Hobson's but, choice. Like, both but is awful. You, both is awful, <laughs> but there's still a choice. Yeah. Or yeah. you don't cross the river at all. I'm just saying there is choice within behavior. But yes. I, I am bulimic. I am anorexic. I am a binge eater. I am this, that, and the other. When you're several years down the road... I don't think it's helpful. I think it's limiting. Yes, I, no, I, that, uh, yeah. that completely answers the question. And, and I, yeah. I do completely agree with you there. And I mean, it was already years ago that, that I did a post that was, I had anorexia, I was not anorexic. Um, because that distinguishment, again, that word identity is so powerful because our mind will align its actions with however we identify as. I mean, I write because I identify as a writer. Similarly, if you identify as an anorexic, of course you're going to engage in anorexic behaviors. And then the third one, and I'll let you say but you, but, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> is, is what the recovery thing is. If I say I am someone in recovery, you're going to take actions aligned with someone in recovery, not necessarily aligned with someone who is recovered. I, I, there's a huge difference there. So I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Oh, okay. I wouldn't say I had anorexia. If I was being really specific, I would, because it's easier, I would say I engaged with anorexic behaviors. And then Mm -hmm. I think everyone would automatically know. But that's a new thing for me saying that, you know, last few years. And I forgot what else I was going to say. You said something and I thought, I'm not sure I agree with that. Ah, I identify as a writer. Well, I could, but you're not. You are a writer and you're so many other things. Yeah, but I mean, a writer is part of my identity. Right, there you go. There like, you I, go. I actually, it. this is literally a sentence in my in my upcoming book. It's, I am a writer, but that's not all I am. Like, oh, I literally say go. that. And you I think that bit out. <laughs> well, I, I didn't include it because that's what the book is for right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but I think that's kind of, I, I say that, I talk about, I okay, I give that example sentence in the chapter on identity and why it's so dangerous to completely, like, cloak ourselves in an identity because I believe that labels can be very helpful like I identify as autistic I identify as neurodivergent helpful but the moment we lose ourselves in the label so like Mm. I am a writer therefore if I'm not writing I'm not existing I'm not following my purpose that's the danger and that's why it is it is important to know the label and have awareness of it but to almost also have the ability to detach yourself from the label when when that serves you like if I'm tired and burnt out and I literally cannot write for a month I'm gonna say I'm a writer but right now I'm someone who takes care of their health like that's my and I can still be a writer because writers rest too like it's all it's so hard for me to express what I'm thinking I get it because we're restricted to words you know what I mean which are Mm. labels in and of themselves (laughs) um but I think yeah when when we can approach life with this just sense of openness and almost this acknowledgement that nothing tangible can ever express the depth of our existence. I think that's where true power of choice lies. Yeah. And I think also just to be very grateful to be alive. I mean, I know people have very difficult lives and um, when it's just about survival, then I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about when you're just surviving, but this, uh, 
Yeah, we kind of lost our sense of wonder and sense of awe. Because yeah. life it's it's a miracle, you know, that, that yeah. we're here. We we we've lost our kind of inner child. Like why Maybe. why where do babies come from? Why is the earth round? Like these these questions <laughs> yeah. I think. Um but yeah, I mean Gemma, I could talk to you for hours. I'm just seeing Me if too. there's anything else you you wanted to touch on. <laughs> I don't um, think so. I don't think okay. so. I'm yeah. just so impressed with you. You're so together you. and savvy oh, and bright together. and articulate. <laughs> ha, ha, yeah. ha. Well, right now, no, I'm take it. Um, take it. Take I, it. I, I, I'm very grateful and I have received <laughs> that. And we all have our struggles and we all have our flaws. Um, I mean, just last week, I woke up in the middle of the night because um, I couldn't sleep. And I got up and made coffee and started writing because I couldn't bear the thought of being with my own mind. Um, like, I just do want to say that. <laughs> um that yeah, but that's great that you did that that's great you found an outlet you didn't destroy yourself no, you created no, something Amazing. no but I felt like crap the whole day I was exhausted <laughs> but I was like why can't I just lay in bed with my own mind because I, I couldn't bear that thought mm. um mm. so I was like I need to go work even though I didn't want to but it was just so that I could distract myself um yeah. and I think that's okay though because you're identifying as a writer and that's what writers do yeah so bra bravo okay. yeah well, <laughs> yeah, already. <laughs> already I'll take it. Um but but yeah. Um but anyways, um everyone listening, um, thank you so much. And Gemma, where can people learn more about you and, and find out um and they... listen to your podcast, Love This Food Thing, if if they're more interested. Yeah, if they're more interested. Yeah. So you can come to Love This Food Thing podcast. So on Instagram we are Love This Food Thing and we have a website called lovethisfoodthing.com and you can direct message me or send a if you want to come on the podcast be a guest you're very welcome we run yeah. seasons yeah and um yeah you can get hold of me instagram or website yeah yeah no problem and yeah. um and i was on i was on Gemma's podcast yes, twice so if yeah. you have not yet listened to those episodes go check them out <laughs> yeah absolutely season yeah. seven live is episode one and then later in the season Thank you, Liv. It's a joy to talk to you. Yeah, it's always yeah. a joy to talk to you too. And now we'll continue our chat after we stop recording yes. this. So thank everyone, you. thank you again for listening. And uh, lots of love. I'll talk to you next time. One foot in front of the other And you'll see around the corner soon This podcast has been recorded by your host, Liv, this podcast has been edited by my small but mighty Live Label Free team and the beautiful song One Foot in Front of the Other that you were now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom, Louise Alexandra. I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.